How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M This song is good. Welcome to season three of Growing Up with Galdem, inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Charlie Frankhurst-Cuff. I'm the editor-in-chief at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of people of colour of marginalised genders. Each week on the podcast, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. I'm Natty Katambala. I'm a former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This discussion includes reference to childhood sexual abuse, so if you feel like you might be affected by the subject matter, please do feel free to skip this episode. This week we're joined by the amazing Erica Hart, who is a black queer femme activist, writer, highly acclaimed speaker and award-winning sexuality educator with a Master's of Education in Human Sexuality from Widener University. Erica's work broke ground when she went topless showing her double mastectomy scars in public in 2016. She has been featured in countless digital and print publications including Vogue, Vice, Paper Magazine, BBC News and Vanity Fair. 
Erica's voice is rooted in leading edge thought around human sexual expression as inextricable to overall human health and its intersections with race, gender, chronic illness and disability. Both radical and relatable, she continues to push well beyond the threshold of sex positivity. A bratty, switchy, Sagittarius, service bottom who misses Whitney more than you. So great to have you on the show today, Erica. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So in your intro, we read out a section where you describe yourself as a bratty, switchy, Sagittarius service bottom and misses Whitney more than you. Um, And so I just wanted to unpack that phrase for a second, if you could enlighten us as to what it means. Well, I want my bio to be read by you always. Um, That's first (laughs) and foremost. (laughs) So the bratty, switchy, it says bratty, switchy, Sagittarius. You're reading the end, right? So bratty is really a term that's used in BDSM for the sake of just educating. There's dominant and submissive. And then some versions of submissive can look various ways. And bratty just means like, yes, I'm a submissive, but I may push up against being submissive. I may be, maybe like, I don't want to be submissive or like, I got to do this for me before I'm submissive. And that is very me. And then on the switch part just means that I could be dominant or submissive. That's a role that I can play. It's it's a little bit of a lie because really, I'm really just submissive, honestly. I think because in my everyday life, I'm very dominant that it's hard for me to acknowledge that in a like sexual space I'm actually very submissive so yeah I think the be actually acknowledging that I'm submissive has been such an opportunity for me to let go and really just be like cared for you know that has been like a beautiful journey honestly I'm a Sagittarius that just might you know my horoscope my astrology service bottom is another way my submissiveness comes out where I just like to care for people I like, it feels really good for me to like cook for folks, to uh, clean in some instances, to like, if for example, two of my friends are single for Valentine's Day, I'm like, I want to send them like some flowers. Like I'm probably going to do that after this call. It just makes me feel good to like care for other people. And I really discovered that through BDSM because it's not necessarily placed on Black femmes. Well, it is absolutely placed on Black femmes to care for people all the time, but to do it consciously was something that I felt was very revelatory for me. That last bit's really interesting. Like, just the other day I was talking about, like, I have two cousins who I cooked something, and they were like, oh my gosh, I'm so surprised that you're, you know, domesticated, they said, like, ironically. And I was like, I was thinking, you know what? In many ways, I am domesticated and I am very caring. But I think you naturally, like, when you're a black woman or a black femme, like, you want to fight that because so much of it is literally enforced upon you that then you have to, like, reclaim it as a choice and, like, as something that you want to do for people and that you can actually enjoy when it's not expected. 100%. The expectation is the part that really bothers me and kind of throws me off. Where I I don't want to do it anymore. In that sense, it doesn't feel good. For some people, that's their self-expression. It feels good for them. But for me, it's just the complete opposite. Yeah, and then Mrs. Whitney more than you. I miss Whitney Houston more than I think a lot of people. Self-explanatory. What was your um, favorite Whitney song? Oh my gosh, I don't know. So many. I think I just love... I love all, I like how she like will make horrible songs sound amazing. You know, a lot of people, because 
It was the Super Bowl the other day and also the inauguration. People were talking about her singing the Star Spangled Banner. A Super Bowl, I don't remember one. It was in the 80s of some sort. And just that song is so horrible. It's like, it's full of violence. Like this country is is trash. And she made me like, even maybe for like just the, I don't know how long it is, three minutes, like, like this country, you know what I mean? Or like mm, be yeah. proud <laughs> to be an American, which is something I would never, ever say. So yeah, it's just those really special. I just like how she changes things subversive beautifully subversive i also was thinking about her in relation to the fact that i think we can now watch the brandy cinderella yeah i don't think i've actually seen that before and everyone yeah (laughs) natty's face is like what everyone's like it's iconic but like she's in that right and is she the fairy yes she's excellent (laughs) i saw it as a kid yeah that's like one of the vcrs i see like in my Tate thing. I remember like pushing it in to watch it like once a week and being like, oh, oh. Brandy is Cinderella. Sweet. Um, and then I just wanted to also shout out before we get into the extracts, like that personally, something that I've really been loving at the moment is your Black People Tell Black History series for Black History Month. Oh, thank you. I think it's just so important. I just wanted to chat a bit about that and how it's been putting that together slash what inspired it, because I just think it's it's just such a good idea. Thank you. You know, we did this last year, my partner, Ebony and I, we put together Black People Tell Black History. And it really, I kid you not, came about on January 31st. And Black History Month in the States is in February. Um, February 1st, it began. So the evening of January 31st, we were like, we should tell something about Black history every day in stories, just me and you, back and forth, back and forth for 28 days. Then we did the first one, the second one, and I was like, Ebony, we need support. We need to get our friends. We need so we just messaged all of our friends and asked them if they could talk about the particular thing that they do. And most of our friends do something or are knowledgeable in some ways of how black people have been impacted or how black people have contributed to whatever it is that they do. It was just so bomb, but it was all in stories. It was, you know, not really organized. Again, we started that on January 31st. So we didn't have like a lot of thought around it. So this year we actually planned maybe a few weeks before February, asked three graphic artists to create posters for it. I stayed up until five in the morning. Again, the Sagittarius part is like when our minds are set on something, we are going to do it. I am not a videographer. I don't know how to do any video editing stuff. But I came up with like the poster and I was like, I must have all of this. Whitney is the first part of it. Like this has been such a labor of love, you know, to have our friends on this and to have so many people we admire and look up to. So it has been wonderful and it's just a ton of work. And I understand now what production companies do. Like I get it. Like You know what I mean? And we have other jobs. Like this is not our job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask as a follow on like what has been the most sort of interesting video to research or interrogate so far for you? Oh, I mean, we're only on day, what is today? Nine. We're on day nine. I think the most interesting up to this point is probably Ebony's African-American vernacular video, which he did last year, but he expanded and he used co-producer privilege and did a video for 40 fucking minutes. But it was excellent, it was powerful. And then I would say, 
the next one right next to that is Black American Sign Language. That one is just incredible. Yes. Just oh, I can't two, wait to watch that. Yeah, two elders talking about how they felt like they had to be forced to code switch. You know, like, of course we are forced to code switch even when we're using our hands. Like, that is nuts, you know? We have a young person, Ayana, who is a freshman in college who's talking about the captive maternal and talking about Joy James and essentially how do Black people love each other? And these are the scholars who have really talked about that. It's so tight. It's just so cool. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I, you know, not to toot my own heart, I love. I love the enthusiasm I in your voice for this. Love, it's lovely I to love hear. it. I think that's why it's been so well received because we love it too. Yeah. You know, like oh, it's such gorgeous. a. There's benefits of having a production company, and there's also, you know, cons. Right? If you have a production company, they can manipulate how things look and sound and. You know, the wider the production company, the wider your shit becomes. And it's great to just be able to make our own stuff. And Direct not to really... consumer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not for to sure, be controlled sure. or, you know, we know exactly <laughs> what we're out to accomplish with this, our objectives. And we're not moving away from that. We're not getting paid for this. It's, there's no money exchange except the people who are helping us. So it is much easier in that sense, but it's just a ton of work. Yeah. It's a ton of work. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, yeah. asking. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for your service. Moving swiftly onwards, I was thinking this would be a good moment for you to read out your extract. Um, obviously, me and Natty don't know a huge amount about the kind of um, context yet, but um, it's a really beautiful piece of prose, um, almost sort of poetry. I'm not sure how you sort of envisaged it, but would you mind reading that out for us just now? Do you have it in front of you? Can do oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yes. I have come to realize that my entire life, I have maintained the state of feeling invalid or being invalidated. Doesn't matter who is president or which law is passed or who finds me attractive, what degree I receive or promotion I accept, there's always some intersection that gets denied, micro, macro, it's all aggression. I have become so accustomed that sometimes I don't even notice when it is happening. But when I do notice, even my reaction is invalidated, diminished, corrected, and I am to respond with holding in silence to survive until I find that space where I can just unleash fully. Used to be my mom's lap where my head met her pelvic bone and my lips on her lap. She would put her hand on my head casually. While it felt like her hand was made of clay and my head was sculpted to fit its placement, when I left her lap, I was left to navigate, to define, but I knew I could always return to heal, to be still, to wait for answers, to feel valid at six. At six, I was told to touch her breasts because that was what all adult babysitters did while they were babysitting. She was also supposed to touch my vulva and I was supposed to like it. I had a thought that this was wrong, but I suppressed it. I never shared, I never told a soul. She told me not to. This feeling that I can't shake and can't exactly make into words is actually a habit I have mastered. I could teach classes on holding feelings, emotion, pain, happiness, anger, feelings to feel all for the benefit of someone else and at the expense of me. My experience is not a concept or conceptual. It's complex and sometimes I don't have the words for anything I have mastered suppressing holding, crying silently in the bathroom stall where it looks like I'm just peeing and all you hear is me holding my breath or punching the air. 
Wow. Thank you for sharing that, that with us, Erica. No problem. Thank you. So, yeah, I just wanted to get a sort of sense of, of where you were at in your life and emotionally when you wrote this. I think it was four years or so ago. That was, yeah, that was like four years ago. And I honestly feel like I was feeling, you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm nowhere near the age of six. And I think the time that I was sexually molested is a time that comes up for me almost in waves of pain. And also it's hard because when you're six, your memory isn't that fantastic. So just having like moments of memory just come jolting back at me, I think is what had me write this. Where I was like, I just want to write to get out what I'm feeling right now because it's coming up in the moment, but it wasn't necessarily for anything in particular. And I really just wrote it on my phone. I may have been on a plane or just, you know, maybe up super late at night, but it usually comes when I'm very still and I don't have much else to focus on or be distracted by is when a lot of those feelings will come up. Yeah, in the extract, you kind of spoke about holding onto others' feelings as well. So there's that really powerful line, which is, you're saying that it was for the benefit of someone else and at your expense. And I was just wondering in terms of writing this piece, were you able to sort of reclaim some of those feelings? You spoke about them coming in waves and yeah, I'd love to hear more on that. Yeah, I would think that I was able to reclaim some of those feelings, but it's something that I've had to really work on, you know, in terms of holding space for myself. And this goes back to, you know, the experience of living as a Black femme where we are supposed to take care of everyone. And that also means that we're supposed to take care of their emotional experience as well. And there, when you do that, there isn't much space for yourself, like at all. It is all the room is taken up. Like you are holding space for everyone else but yourself. So I think that it has constantly been a struggle for me to just be there for myself, to just hold space for myself, to not think that I need to be mindful of how my dad felt that this was one of his family friends or to think about, oh, what about the other people who've experienced this more recently? You know, just literally to center myself is such a challenging experience for me still to this day. So writing is my time to really center myself. You know, no one gets to kind of come into that space. It's just me. I think that's a really powerful point as well. Like, when you write, you write from your perspective only and it kind of just has to be this direct expression instead of, I think it's what you've said before as well and the idea of holding and suppressing is sadly like such a relatable sentiment, especially for black femme people. But it's something that I was wondering, is it something that you're trying to shed to this day and how has that been since writing this piece? Do you feel like you're in a similar space or have you grown and become better at you know, centering yourself? You know, I don't know. I think I, I want to kind of push back on the idea that there's a place to get better at. I think it's more so fantastic or a place that I've moved into where I've actually acknowledged it. For example, my cousin just passed uh, last week and, you know, I kept thinking about, you know, yes, that's my cousin. And I don't know what it's like to lose a child, you know, for my aunt and uncle. I don't know what that's like. And my brother was much closer to my cousin. So what is his experience like? And then I just had to be like, wait a minute, what is your experience like? 
Like you did have a relationship with your cousin, you know, you did love him. You didn't talk on a regular basis, but you still talk to him. It hasn't been years since you talked to him. You talked to him at Christmas. I had to like stop and kind of check myself a little bit. But I think I just move away from better because I don't want to start grading it. And I will, you know, I'll be like, well, damn, I didn't do it that time. Or I need to get better. And it's I like, I don't know what getting better looks like. I think it's more so if I acknowledge it in the moment, take my ass to therapy to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are the I tools feel, that are set up? So yeah. maybe that's getting better at it is that yeah. I acknowledge it and I have the tools in place. But it is it's challenging. I was just going to say on the note in regards to your cousin, I can very much empathize with that. And especially about taking it to therapy as well, because I, I had a similar-ish conversation with my therapist a couple of weeks ago when a family member was quite seriously ill in hospital. And I kept on sort of going on about like, oh, I'm worried about like my parents and how they're coping and like how da da da. And then she was like, yeah, but what about you? And I was like, Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even tell you. Yeah. But I think that's also such a good point that you just raised in terms of like, it's not a skill. In the way that mastering, you know, the art of suppression in the piece, you've obviously discussed that as like something that is a skill. It's not the same when it comes to actually living life. And it's just like being aware of it is 50% of the issue, you know, and just being able to talk yourself down when you can and when you're lucid about it interesting it's just very challenging work that you have to do with yourself all the time I feel like if I start saying that I've gotten better at it I'm going to stop you feel me like I'm just gonna be like I got better at it it's almost like with the way that I am with working out I'll work out for a little bit and then I'll start to see results and I'm like I'm good I don't need to go anymore Start looking in the mirror, you're like, hmm, yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah. My trainer did say I was going to get some arms here. And my trainer also said that it's not about your body shape. It's about how you feel, but whatever. So, yeah, I feel like it's that. You know, it's that. I'll start moving into that space. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And then another bit that really stood out to me was this section right at the start where you're talking about the laws that are being passed, the presidents that are being voted in. And then you say there's always some intersection that gets denied. Micro, macro, it's all aggression. And that part really stood out to me. I've been having some conversations about diversity recently and like the idea of like intersectionality as a concept and what it means versus what it's been like taken to mean, which is like, I sit in all these groups and we're all friends. I'm like in a number of different clubs when actually it can mean that it's really hard to find one space or any space to exist as like your full self. So I guess I wanted to talk about that and like the idea of compromise and violation in terms of those different intersections you might exist in and whether you think there's hope to find spaces for people like you or you in the future. You know, I have one white friend left on my white friend boat. I grew up in predominantly white spaces and white neighborhoods, went to predominantly white institutions. So a lot of my friends were white. And I just started, once you start getting anti-Blackness and anti-racism down to your core, you cannot unsee it. So a lot of my relationships with white people were based on me being essentially their joker like their shuck and jive, their personality, their entryway to using African-American vernacular, their token in a lot of different instances, right? And I was even married to a white person. So I just started to notice how much I was being used by white people who even said that I was their friend, right? And maybe white people in their relationships with other white people use each other. But as a Black person with the history of Black people, period, I have no interest in being used by white people. Like, feel, I'm assuming it feels different for a white person, but I think that that is a function of white culture that there's just a lot of, let me take from you. And if I can't take anything, then I'm not interested in it. And that was a lot of my dichotomies with white folks, which is why I don't have many white friends anymore. And the work there is for me too. It's how they were treating me, but then also my thoughts around, if this white person has blonde hair, blue eyes, looks like Ellen is attracted to me, then that means I'm now pretty because they're attracted to me. They saw beauty in me and no one has, and they are the epitome of what beautiful is. So I must be beautiful because I have proximity to them, right? I must be diverse or cool because my friends are from all different backgrounds. Like, nah, my Black friends are from Brooklyn, they're from Costa Rica, they're from London, they're from California. Like that shit is hella diverse too. Like this idea that we need to find diversity within, and that means we are the chocolate chip in a mist of 
white doe, you know, like, nah, like we don't need to play that role. It could just be all double chocolate chip cookies. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy, <laughs> but you feel me. So that's where I've gone in my anti-racism work is literally denouncing that diversity is necessary or is something that needs to happen and just really just falling in love with my blackness and falling in love with the black people who have been in my life for a very long time who've been looking at me like why are you with this white person that don't be fulfilling you and don't be really here for you like i don't think you need to hang out with those white people no more because they get on your nerves like they stress you most of the time with that single friend who remains on the white boat, what is it about them that kind of differentiates your friendship? They honestly are like my family member. They have been in my life for a very long time. They have been there for me through like some hard ass shit. They get on my everlasting nerve. Like they do some white stuff, just white, white, white. (laughs) They're the last on the boat and we talk when we talk and you know, but there is just a profound, foundation of a relationship there where she will likely always be on the boat just there through a lot of different things you know and continues to be there and always show up and it works on her shit you know like she you know will read the books and be with the fact that I'm calling her out I mean what when I call white people out I'm not not calling my friends out you know or the people who used to be my friends like they're getting called out too I don't subscribe to a good white person narrative so yeah, that that's that's how that she's the only one because she, yeah, she works on her shit and she doesn't treat me like that anymore. Yeah, I think she's actually acknowledged that in college, I was her personality. Like I was the one that had people interested in who she was, you know, because I was like loud and fun and did my hair in all these ways. Like I was the conversation starter. It was me who was doing all of that. And she's acknowledged that. And I think I needed that acknowledgement and I didn't know I needed it. And that was kind of like the beginning of me being like, who else am I doing this for? Just to link it back neatly, I feel like some people don't really like the word ally, but I guess who stays on the white friend boat is such an interesting one because I feel like in the same way that you don't get better at (laughs) at being white, you know, it's a case of if you can become fully aware and conscious of these certain things and are actively you know working to put out these fires those are the people who who get to stay around it's not about listening to drake and you know like thinking that afros are fun and cute you know it's it's not those very like surface level things it's actually just doing the work constantly yes and what you just said too it made me think about how violent sometimes it is to be around white people you know, like even my white friends, like it felt like you're constantly asking me about myself, like how black people do something or you're interested in my hair or there's some sort of random compliment on my sweatpants. I just rolled out of bed, but I look so cool. Like, but like they're not microaggressions. They're just aggressions. You know, like if you're using African-American vernacular, if you're saying things like, yo, what's up to me? Because that's how you think you're supposed to speak to me. That is an aggression. You don't speak like that ever and you never should. So why are you doing it in my direction? That has always felt very alarming to me. And when I'm around black people, they, we don't do that. You know, like if we do say what's up, then it doesn't feel aggressive. <laughs> it feels normal. It, it's, it's how we talk, you know? 
I was tired of the violence, honestly. I was just tired of that. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think we've both got some things to think about post this conversation. But yeah, what I was going to say was I would love to just hear a little bit more about what you were like as a child and and what your youth and and sort of teen years were like just in relation to growing up because that is the theme of this podcast of course and we see you now as this like beautiful person and we see all the work you've done but at some point you were a baby and yeah I'd love to hear more about that. Again I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods and essentially was accosted in a lot of different ways as a black person and it was exhausting but then you know what the gag is I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods, have a black family, but the people that I said were accosting me the most were my black family. And I find that interesting because although white people were being horrible to me, I still pointed the finger at my family, saying that I talk like a white person or saying that, you know, you know, I think I'm better than people, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all of that is just rooted in anti-blackness that I would ever be like, y'all are the problem, not these white people over here. And these are the people that I'm going to be friends with. You get what I'm saying? It's like, it's so embedded in everything that I would have an aversion to my own family than to some white folks in my neighborhood that I don't know from nothing. And I had to really reckon with that over time, the more I learned. Like, I feel like a lot of people are in this conversation of anti-racism and wanting to know more about it and learn more about it. But some of it, a lot of it, I feel like is shit, you know, like I don't think that they actually are reading anything or (laughs) actually interested in shifting things. I think folks may be reading things for the sake of saying, this is something that I know. I want to tell you what I know and sort of weaponize their knowledge, but to not actually shift something over there with them in their life. But anti-racism work for me has actually shifted how my life looks completely. You know, I had to really reckon with who I give credit to and who I don't, who I give the benefit of the doubt to and who I don't, Um, who I'm attracted to and who I'm not. Like I I had to deal with that and look at all of those things um, rather than just being like, it's just my taste in people or, you know, this is just the way it is. Like, no, it's all very funneled through a very uh, white supremacist culture. Growing up, I didn't necessarily have the tools for that. I did not come out of the womb with my fist in the air. I came out in the same ways that everybody else did into a culture where we had to just figure it out. And over time, I just started to get very disinterested with racism and experiencing it to the point where I can't even work for other people anymore. Freelance is not something that a lot of people are like, yes, I want to do that. I want to be freelance because it's a lot of freaking work. It was very much like a self-care choice um, was to no longer work for institutions that were going to harm me in every single one. So a friend of mine tagged me in a work photo from 10 years ago, and immediately I was brought back to how violent that space was. So one of my friends yesterday was talking to me about nonprofits, and immediately I was brought back to how violent nonprofits are and how many of them I have worked at. So freelance is not free from racism, but it is free from having to be in a lot of these spaces where you constantly have to show up every day and essentially be accosted by it. Like I still very much experience racism as a freelancer, not saying that, but I can literally go in my room and close the door and deal with it. I'm not on a Zoom or in an office space 
where it's just in your face. So I think sometimes people relate to me like I have arrived somewhere in terms of anti-racism, but it's always worked for me to undo, right? My um, classism, my ableism, my sexism, I have all of those things just like everybody else has. And I think it's important to acknowledge that we all have that shit so we can actually do something about it rather than being like, well, I teach this, so I'm not doing that. But you could be, you know, and it's important to just be mindful of it and to go back and constantly be looking at where you may be perpetuating a system of oppression. Yeah, of course. I totally hear that. And I find the phrase that you used about being disinterested in being exposed to racism really interesting and something that I'm definitely going to ruminate on because I think that's such a fair emotion to have. But I don't think we often give ourselves permission to just remove ourselves from those spaces all the time. Sometimes we're like, no, we have to fight every battle. We have to, you know. Um, So I love that. One of the final questions for you and just sort of bringing it back to your extract a little bit. I was wondering if you had any advice for your younger self that you could share with us. So whether that's the younger self four years ago who was writing that beautiful piece or your even younger self who was obviously going through that period of abuse, which obviously sounded terrific and dramatic. Is there anything that you wish you could have told yourself? I wish I could have told myself to remain playful, to remain curious. Like I I think Sagittarius are very curious anyway, but as you get older, the blinders come up very thick. And I think that there's an element of playfulness that has like left me with age. And I wish that I could have told myself to not downplay how playful and curious you are and to remain that way and that you're perfect just the way you are. Honestly, a a gospel for the ages, that one. And then I was going to ask as a final, final question, what do you think your younger self, if they could see where you are today, what do you think they would think of where you are now? Yeah, they would probably think, duh, like, I figured that would happen. I figured that you would be very (laughs) loud about what you care about and making a difference, I think. And I I say that with all humility. Like, I I think I've kind of always been like this, where when something was confusing or didn't make sense, I spoke up about it, and I haven't stopped. So I think that they would just be like, yeah, that makes sense that you're naked online and that you talk a lot of shit. Incredible, incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Firstly, just loved the energy of Erica. So good. But I guess the thing that stuck out the most with me towards the end was just how she was talking about leaving to go freelance and kind of doing that as a self-preservation tactic is a really interesting and timely, personally timely for myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> timely discussion point. I think it's something I've, I keep hearing and it's, I keep witnessing, especially for a lot of black people, brown people in the creative industries, especially, as well as corporate spaces. And I just think it's a really interesting idea. There's almost like a bit of an exodus happening or like reclaiming of power. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Also, and like, I think freelance goes into the same boat as like, working for yourself or for a company founded by people like yourself yeah like I can't tell you what a relief it was when I first went freelance in like 20 whatever it was now (laughs) (laughs) so long ago I am an old woman no I'm joking I just always loved that ability to sort of set my own rules and not feel sort of hemmed in by what certain publications like wanted or like needed from me and the kind of stereotypes they would 
pot upon me in the micro or macro questions you're kind of subject to like it's tiring and it's boring and like yeah just having having Gaudam along in the background really meant everything because it meant that like I was able just to like turn my focus to something yeah. that was like it was not that so it was yeah. nourishing but, I mean, it was nourishing and I was going to say like as well like I hope that within your freelancing you know that you as Erica has kind of articulated to us just make sure to hold on to that power because like you do have it and these people need you and like you can utilize that and that was a lesson that I feel like I learned a bit too late when I started freelancing yeah because I think at the same time as there is like the freelance culture there's also the hustle culture and the whole like immigrant mentality or you know like other mentality of like I need to work so hard and I need to be so grateful for every opportunity and just like you never know when it's going to disappear and I think when you twin that with freelance it can be a really unhealthy balance whereas when you realize that that's not actually the case and that you hold that power and you have a currency it can be a really really freeing experience and you can just be like I don't want to do that thing it's really boring and thank you very much for the opportunity but no thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and do you know what? Like uh, the amount of things I said yes to, and then like uh, immediately regret it. Or, or I just knew that I couldn't even, on a less sort of deep level, but like on a more personal level, I knew that I couldn't do to the best of my ability as yeah. well. Or like I, I'd already agreed to too many things. Or yeah, you, know. you kind of start and, to and resent. Only, yeah, you do. You do start to resent. Resentment is a very good word for it. Um, but yeah, I hope, I mean, is it going well for you at the moment, Natty? Are you saying no to things as much as you're saying yes to things? I am trying. I'm really trying, especially because we're in a pandemic and I'm away. I think to start with the first month, I was like, okay, you can't say no to things anymore. Like even before Christmas, I had work and deadlines that were like imposing themselves on my January. And then I got to a point at the end of Jan and I was just like, we're actually in a pandemic and I'm not in my house and I'm kind of half on this holiday. And yet I'm working every day of the week from when I wake up, which is like 5 a.m. UK time to when UK people go to sleep, which is like 7 p.m. UK time, 9 p.m. my time. Then I'm just sleeping and doing the same again. So recently I've been trying to really practice like doing the things I know I won't have to drag myself out of bed to do and if it's not that and I can't fit it in I'm not gonna break my back to just like yeah, to do it to make yeah. make it okay for you yeah a lot of the time realizing that like not every opportunity benefits me and the ones if it doesn't benefit me in like a professional way it needs to benefit me in like a spiritual way and if it's not doing either of those things and the money's not serious you know then <laughs> I'm not gonna do it bye sounds bad. yeah bye sorry a great note to end the podcast yeah. on. Don't do the shit that doesn't nourish you either financially or spiritually. <laughs> That's it. Yep. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Galdem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media platforms at Galdemzine for the latest independent journalism or visit our website, which is gal-dem.com. Galdem has a book, I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. It's available in all good bookstores or online. If you loved this episode of Growing Up with Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.